Hello, today we are going to talk about another company in the S&P 500 series. We're just continuing on here. Uh, last week we talked about a mental model, and today we're going to discuss a candy company. So, um, welcome to Stock Stories. Yes. How's it going? This is Alex. I am your stock storyteller. Thank you for joining me today. This is the Stock Stories Podcast, episode 16. And this is a podcast where we talk about individual companies, individual stocks. We talk about the fundamental underlying business, and then we talk about the potential for becoming an investor in the company itself through shares of stock. Uh, So we've covered companies in multiple different industries so far. And uh, right now we're going to go into a consumer stock, a candy company, quite frankly, probably one of the most famous candy companies that you've ever heard of. And uh, yeah, if you have a sweet tooth, you'll definitely like it. All right, let's get into it. We're going to talk about the Hershey company. So Hershey, Hershey, the beloved chocolate company, Hershey bars, Reese's peanut butter cups, York peppermint patties, Kit Kats, the list goes on and on. Hershey has provided delicious confectionery treats for generations and any gas station or convenience store or grocery store across the United States carries Hershey's products. Yeah, so um, more than likely, if you live in the U.S. listening to this, you're familiar with them. And uh, also in some places internationally, you're probably familiar with their products too. But let's go over the beginning. I always like to start with the start because if we want to understand where a company is going in the future and where it's at today, it's useful to look at where it's been, at least at some level, to understand where the company's culture comes from, what was the ownership structure like, how did it come into being, why did people buy this company's products and services in the past in the first place? That can be a strong indicator as to what will happen in the future. No guarantee of future success, of course, of knowing what the future is, but an indicator nonetheless. So that's what we're going to do now, looking at the history Hershey was founded by a guy named Milton S. Hershey. Now, he was a poor young man in uh, in the Northeast, and he tried to start a few different companies because his father was basically destitute as well, and he wanted to change his station in life. So he went starting different candy companies, 
He went bankrupt twice before the age of 30, starting two different companies. And he was just all the while learning about the candy making process. And at that time in America, things like candy, things like chocolate, these were luxuries reserved for the rich. They were mainly made in smaller quantities and not really available to your average person. So he wanted to find a way to make chocolate available to everyone at a good price. And before he stumbled upon chocolate, he was actually found a niche in caramel making. So he would make um, little pieces of caramel and sell them to people. And he became pretty good at this. And he decided that he wanted to shift to chocolate. So he went to a World's Fair exhibition and came across some German chocolate making equipment in the late 1800s and decided, hey, you know, this is what I need to efficiently make chocolate. So he immediately bought some of that equipment. He sold off his caramel company for a nice sum of money. And then he went to Pennsylvania and started building out a factory, building out an infrastructure for his chocolate factory. He got dairy from the local farms there. He got milk from the local cows in Pennsylvania for the chocolate. And he he created a unique milk chocolate formula. And this was the birth of the Hershey's bar. And so in order to do this, when he sold the caramel company, he sold it for a million dollars, which was equivalent to about $29 million in today's dollars. So this is a pretty successful company already. So I want to pause here because there's a good lesson, I think a life lesson. Sometimes when you've been really successful with something, you don't have to continue with just that one thing. If you've been really successful with something, you can use that as a strong platform to launch into something else, maybe something related, but still different. Milton Hershey decided he didn't want to sell caramels his entire life. He wanted to continue to innovate and develop chocolates. So he used that seed money from the caramel business to create what we now know as the Hershey company. So uh, that was what launched him into the ability to invest heavily in chocolate. And nobody else was doing this at the time. This was a new thing. So in Derry Township, Pennsylvania, which is where he built his company, in 1903, he invested really heavily into the town. He basically created an industrial town that would support his workers. He was very keen on making sure his employees were happy, that they had places to live, that there was a good school, there, there was good community amenities around, that the factory itself was good. Um, from everything that I've read in my research, it seems like he was the kind of guy that really wanted everyone to work together and be happy because he knew that happy workers would be more productive workers. So him and his wife, uh, Kitty, they never had children, but they always wanted children of their own. And so they decided that they would use their wealth to help kids that didn't have parents or who were underprivileged in some way. So they established the Hershey Trust for underprivileged boys, 
and this became the Milton Hershey School. Now, this is a very important part of the story of Hershey uh, because the Hershey Trust actually to this day controls the vast majority of the voting shares of the company because um, this trust was established for their benefit. So uh, in 28, as of 2018, the Hershey Trust has slightly less than 80% of the voting power and about 8% of the common stock. So that's, <laughs> that's basically they control the company completely. Um, they're not at the same whims at, to Wall Street as many other companies are because of their unique ownership structure. Now, Milton Hershey's wife, unfortunately, passed away uh, relatively young in life. So when that happened, he created this trust and he put virtually all of his wealth into it. And so I want to break down what the Hershey Trust structure is like right now because it's very important as far as understanding the control structure uh, for the Hershey Company itself. So the Hershey Company, like I said, is vast majority owned by the Hershey Trust, even though it is a publicly traded company. Um, the vast majority of the voting power is owned by the Hershey Trust. So in the Hershey Trust, they have control of um, the Milton Hershey School, which is one of the wealthiest private schools in the world. They serve over 2,000 students, and they have an endowment. I believe it's over $13.7 billion at this point. So this private school that helps underprivileged kids. So that's owned by the trust. You also have the MS Hershey Foundation, which provides cultural benefits for Dairy Township, different uh, cultural centers and things like that. You've got the Hershey Trust Real Estate, there's some small portfolio of rental properties. The Hershey Cemetery, where Milton Hershey is, of course, buried with his wife. Hershey Entertainment and Resorts Company, which is the sole owner of the private theme park, Hershey Park. So if you ever go to uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania, there's a theme park there. And actually, as a kid, I went there once, and it was pretty fun. Uh you know, chocolate themed rides and all sorts of things like that. So all of that is owned by the Hershey Trust and controlled by it. Um, so that's just kind of a breakdown of the structure. So back to the company a little bit. So Milton got his factory going. Uh, he wanted to create new products. So the iconic Hershey's Kiss was invented in 1907. And the little piece of paper that comes out of the top of the kiss that reads Hershey's, that was actually added because Hershey didn't want uh, consumers to be confused by the authenticity of the products by knockoffs. So he created that little tag that says Hershey's Kisses on it. So that's where that comes from. So the iconic Hershey's Kisses, it's been around for over a century, um, still sold today. And he gradually added other products. He added Mr. Goodbar in 1925 with the peanuts. He added crackle, the crackle bar with the like rice, uh, crispy rice pieces in 1938. And the main competition for Hershey started developing uh, later on after World War II. So in World War II, 
there was a desire for chocolate or candy to be sent to the soldiers out on the front that wouldn't melt in the route of travel. So a guy named Forrest Mars teamed up with Hershey and created a new product that could be sent to the soldiers. And so they created what became known as M&M's, which is chocolate in a candy-coated shell. So it melts in your mouth, but not in your hand, right? So Hershey had a 20% stake in this product, um, but Mars was the main creator. But they used Hershey's chocolate because there was rationing in those days because of the shortages of supplies for the war. Um, so Hershey had this 20% stake. But then after M&M's was created, um, Hershey ended up being bought out by Mars for that remaining 20% stake. So then Mars owned M&M's completely. And as we now know, M&M's has become a flagship product. And uh, it's sold right next to all the Hershey's bars everywhere you look. And so Mars um, created the company Mars. And it became the main Hershey competitor in the United States. And to this day, Mars has almost the same amount of market share, about 40 or so percent of the chocolate market in the United States as Hershey does. Um, and they own brands like Snickers and M&Ms, etc. So, um, and by the way, Mars is not part of the S&P 500. They're a privately owned company. So uh, unfortunately, no Mars shares for us at least right now, but Hershey is publicly traded. So that's where M&M's comes from. And that's a little bit about the relationship between the two companies. Now, an important development happened in the early sixties. There was a guy named H.B. Reese and he used to work for Milton Hershey in various capacities. He worked a couple different jobs, but then he went out and started his own candy company. And what he became famous for is he started developing peanut butter cups and these proved to be immensely popular and so in 1963 Milton Hershey's company decided to merge the H.P. Reese candy company into the fold in a stock for stock merger and they bought them out basically and by 1969 just six years later peanut butter cups became the top seller at the Hershey company and even today Uh, All of the Reese's products are some of the fastest growing and top selling products that the Hershey company has in its arsenal. And I'll say for me personally, Reese's has always been my favorite candy, period. Uh, It just just mixed peanut butter and chocolate. I mean, you, you just really don't get better than that, in my opinion. So it's sweet and it's delicious. And that's where it comes from. And I actually remember um, going back to the story of me visiting Hershey Park as a kid, I remember I was in the backseat of the car and my parents were driving us down the highway in Pennsylvania. And I remember looking over and seeing like the big Reese's factory off the side of the road. And I remember you could smell the peanut butter in the air as you drove by the factory. And it was just like an amazing moment. Like, oh man, that's where the Reese's come from. Uh, So I've always been a big fan of Reese's. And they're still one of the top sellers of Hershey today. So fast forward from the 60s and the 70s and just some quick points in the timeline of the history. 
1988, Hershey purchased the right to sell Cadbury in the United States. Now, Cadbury is a brand based in the United Kingdom. So they're expanding their portfolio there a little bit. In 2002, there was a really big outcry because the Hershey Trust put the company up for sale. They decided that, you know what, we were benefiting a lot, but from these Hershey dividends to support our nonprofit school, but at the end of the day, we want to diversify and we want to be um, not necessarily in control of all of this. So we're going to sell the company and who wants to buy it? And there was a huge public outcry. People were picketing in the streets in Derry Township, Pennsylvania, because they did not want Hershey to be sold. They wanted it to stay the way that it was. And uh, so Wrigley, the gum company from Chicago, they were in talks. They kind of wanted to buy Hershey. And then eventually the trust decided, you know what, there's been so much... um, of a negative reaction from this, we're going to cancel the sale. We don't, we don't want to sell anymore. So that happened in 2002 and Hershey remained in the form that it is today. A couple other things happened uh, later on. There were some more acquisitions in recent years because Hershey has been trying to find ways to make money outside of chocolate. And we'll see that as we get into more into the overview. In 2012, they bought Brookside Foods, which is a snack company. In 2015, they purchased Crave Beef Jerky because beef jerky has become, uh, like ready-to-go meats has become a relatively fast grower within the consumer product segment. So Hershey wants a piece of that. Now, in 2016, Mondelez International, which is the company that Basically, it's part of the old craft, which is now Kraft Heinz, as we discussed in the Altria episode. Mondelez International made an unsolicited bid of $23 billion for Hershey. And Hershey said, thanks, but no thanks, we're good. So uh, at one point in time, a couple years ago, Hershey was about to be merged into this other S&P 500 component, Mondelez International. Um, and so that was offer was rejected. And then also in 2016, Hershey acquired a company called Ripple, Ripple Brand Collective, which makes, uh, you may have seen those bark thins, those kind of chocolate, salty, like wafer looking things in the stores. So they're expanding their portfolio of products there. Um, So now let's get a little bit into the overview of the company, and just some other facts that I want to share. So chocolate, where does chocolate come from? Hershey makes chocolate. They make a ton of it. They have 24-7 production system automated for making a lot of their chocolate. Where does it come from? The raw cocoa. So the cocoa bean is the raw material used for chocolate. And you have other products like... um, like milk, um, cocoa butters, cocoa liquor, different sorts of derivatives of the co- cacao bean. And where does it come from? Most of the world's chocolate beans, the cocoa beans, come from West Africa. And there are also some places in Latin America that produce it. But really, um, 
the Ivory Coast is the world's largest cocoa producing country. And about 70% of the world's cocoa, I believe, comes from West Africa. Uh, so that's where the raw material is coming from. And it's being used to create the final products in the factories. So Hershey has been making chocolate. As I said, they've been trying to find other ways to make money because they're very dependent on the stream of cocoa beans uh, being transformed into products that people like. So they've made these different acquisitions that I just mentioned. Over the years, though, I was looking at some of their acquisitions further back in history. And over the years, they've bought and sold the Friendly's restaurant chain, multiple pasta companies. They've been in a lot of different businesses trying to diversify, and none of them have really seemed to work out. Um, they've bought and sold years later, sometimes for a gain, sometimes for a loss. It just depends. So Hershey has been struggling with its identity a little bit, trying to become more than a chocolate company, but at the same time, wanting to stick to being really good at the chocolate game. One key piece of information that I want to share is the prices. Now, I stumbled across the price increase rates for Hershey's products over the years, and I was very impressed by what I found. Because if you recall in one of the episodes, I think it was the mental model episode, uh, not this past week, but, but the one prior, I talked about how if a company is really good at raising prices, then that's a strong signal that they may be a good investment because they can increase their revenues basically whenever they want. Um, obviously, there are limitations to that, but if you can raise the prices of your products by 3 5% a year and nobody cares and they'll keep buying it in the same amounts, you have some brand equity and you can make a lot more money as a result. So I just want to walk through some of the price increases of Hershey's products over the years to paint you a picture of the strength of the brands. So I'm going to go back as far as 1995. In 1995, Hershey's increased the price of their bars by 11%. In 2002, they increased the price of their bars by 10.8%. In 2004, they increased their wholesale products by 3% a year, or by a price, increased the prices by 3%. In 2007, they increased the price by 4 to 5%, depending on the products. In 2008, they increased their prices by 3%. Um, later that year, in August of 2008, they increased their prices again by 10%. In 2011, they increased the price of their products by 9.8%. In 2014, they increased the price of their products by 8%. So we see over the past couple of decades, yeah, Hershey is a century plus old company. But in the last two decades, they've been able to raise their prices pretty well. And people are still buying chocolate. Now, the volume of chocolate shipments hasn't necessarily grown a lot. It's growing about by 1% or so a year. I think the chocolate industry as a whole, like chocolate consumption, but the prices that Hershey can charge keep going up and up and up. People are willing to pay for that brand equity, that intellectual property that Hershey has created. And that's true just as much today as it was back when Hershey's introduced the Hershey's Kiss and the Hershey's Bar. People want Hershey's. 
as far as an overview of the business, about 88% of the revenues come from North America. 12% come from outside the U.S. and Canada realm and uh, international places. Now, as I mentioned, Hershey is first and foremost a chocolate company. That's where they derive most of the revenues and profits. They also have the Crave acquisition. Um, so they've got the beef jerky there. They have the gums and mints division. So they do sell some gums and mints, but it's not a big piece of the story. They have some premium brands, like they bought Scharfenberger, which is one of the world's premium chocolate makers. So as far as the higher quality end of the spectrum, they've got that in their portfolio. And then in 2017, they made this Amplify acquisition. So this company called Amplify produces a bunch of different snack products, and their flagship product is the Skinny Pop popcorn brand. So you may have seen this in the stores, but they're bags of popcorn, basically, ready-to-eat popcorn in attractive packaging. And Hershey decided that they wanted to expand more aggressively into other snack areas um, in order to diversify their revenue streams and not be so dependent on chocolate. So that was the most recent acquisition. So as I mentioned, most of the world's cocoa supply comes from West Africa, 70% of it. The rest comes from Central and South America. That gets routed. Oh, there's also some that comes from the Far East as well. So from the different corners of the world, that chocolate gets routed through a Swiss trading company that Hershey has set up to basically track the price of the cocoa bean in different areas of the world and hedge against risks, basically, of cocoa prices going through the roof. So the Swiss trading company is responsible for the procurement of the cocoa. The cocoa then gets routed to Hershey's factories, which are across the United States, but mostly in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And then the dairy gets routed from U.S. and Canadian dairy farmers to the factories. The factories create the chocolate, and then the chocolate gets shipped all over the country and as well all over the world. Um, so that's kind of the flow of how the products are made. All right, so let's get into some numbers. In 2011, what were the sales at Hershey Company? They were $6 billion. In 2017, what were the sales? They were $7.5 billion. So we see an increase in sales. What about the net income? It was about $0.6 billion in 2011 and about $0.78 billion in 2017. So as a percentage of sales, Hershey has consistently had about 10% of their sales in net income over a long period of time. So that's good. That shows consistency across the company at their ability to convert sales into real profit. So their cost of goods sold hasn't really increased that much. Their general expenses hasn't increased that much. They've been able to control costs pretty well over a long period of time, such that increase in sales translate very directly to increases in profits. And that's a good sign. As far as the assets and liabilities go, um, they don't have as much cash on hand as they used to. In 2011, they had $690 million in cash. Now they only have $380 million in cash. Uh, their total assets have gone up, though. They had $4.4 billion in total assets in 2011, $5.5 billion in total assets in 2017. 
But as we often see with companies of this size, the asset growth tends to correlate with liability growth. So the total liabilities in 2011 were $3.5 billion. Now they're $4.6 billion. So the overall equity there hasn't really changed that much, um, which is an example of becoming having growth in your asset and liability size, but not necessarily growth in your equity. As far as the long-term debt piece of the liability side of the balance sheet, in 2011, they had $1.7 billion in debt, and in 2017, they had $2 billion in debt. And that $2 billion in debt is actually um, a slight decrease over 2016, which was $2.3 billion. So Hershey has borrowed a little bit more, but it seems like they're mindful of it. They've been paying some of it back. Um, and the current portion of the long-term debt in 2017 was $300 million, so um, that's uh, a decent amount of money to, to pay back. So that's the balance sheet. As far as the cash flows go, the operating cash flow this past year in 2017 was $1.2 billion. In 2011, it was just $0.58 billion. So over time, it's been increasing quite nicely. The operating cash grew at a compound annual growth rate of almost 11% year over year. And uh, that's over an an eight-year time horizon or a seven-year time horizon, sorry. Although the last three years have been more stagnant, like in 2016, the operating cash flow was $1 billion, and in 2017, it was $1.2. So it didn't increase that much over the past couple of years. I think that's part of the reason why Hershey's stock price has suffered in the past couple of years is because that operating cash flow has just not been as good recently. But over a long period of time, it's been very good. The investing cash flow has been more or less steady in 2011 there was 330 million used in investing activities. In 2017, there was 320 million. In financing, there was 43 million used for investing activity or financing activities in 2011 and 84 million in 2017. So not too many changes there on the investment and the financing side. Um, more or less consistent, but the operating cash has increased a lot over the years. Now also, that's the cash flow. What about the earnings per share? What about the returns to us as potential owners of this company? The EPS has grown. In 2012, it was $3.24 a share. And in 2017, it was $4.76 a share. And that's an 8% year-over-year growth rate. Now, this correlates with the net sales growth, which, as I mentioned before, the sales have tended to rise in tandem with the profits. The net sales have grown in, they were 9.3% growth in 2012, but in the last couple of years, they've fallen. In 2015, they had negative growth, negative 0.5% growth, up to 1% growth in 2017. So they're reversing course a little bit, but it's not nearly as strong as it was back in the 2010, 2011, 2012 timeframe when their net sales growth was growing by mid to high single digits year over year. One thing that we can look at at a business as far as how efficient is it, it is, is its operating margin. So the operating margin is the amount of money that the company makes as a percentage of its sales. And this is after gross profit. This is after the general expenses to run the business. So in 2009, the operating margin of Hershey was 16.2%. 
in 2012, or sorry, 2017, the operating margin was 20.7%. And I found in one of Hershey's documents a graph showing this metric over the past about 10 years or so. And year over year, their operating margin has crept up and up and up and up, just like very linearly, like a bar chart, a linear bar chart. And to me, that shows strong increases in efficiency year over year. Hershey has realized that they are not growing massively from a sales perspective, but they can increase their prices consistently and they can increase their operating margin over time and be very careful with their costs. So just as a point of comparison, what about some of the other competitors in the space? So the reference point is Hershey with 20.7% operating margin in 2017. What about Kraft Heinz, another big company? Well, they had 25% operating margin last year. What about Mondelez International, the company that tried to buy Hershey out a few years ago? In 2017, their operating margin was just 15%. Another big chocolate company, Lint and Sprungli, uh, which is in Europe, their operating margin was 14.5% in 2017. So we see that compared to peers, Hershey is near the top of the heap as far as efficiency is concerned. They can convert more dollars of revenue into actual profits for their shareholders than many other companies. So that's a good sign. Next, I always like to look at the components of total return, right? So shares outstanding, I like to look at buybacks and I like to look at dividends. These are clear signs of returning cash to shareholders. So what about the shares outstanding? How much does Hershey buy back year over year? Well, in 2011, Hershey had 164 million shares outstanding. At the end of 2017, they had 149 million. So, all right, modest decrease in the share count, about 1.6% a year, nothing too crazy, but they gradually retire a little bit of their shares. What about the dividends? In 2011, Hershey paid out $1.38 per share in dividends. In 2017, they paid out $2.54.8 a year in dividends, and that is a 10.7% annual growth rate in the dividend. And so that's a good, strong indicator to me. Strong double-digit dividend growth means a healthy business, at least to me, um, when you consider the fact that the payout ratio hasn't increased that much over that period of time. So what about the outlook? In 2018, Hershey is expected to make between $4.73 a share and $4.98 a share. And currently, the price is at about $91 a share to $90 a share. And that's 18 to 19 times earnings. And it's not really bad, considering that Hershey has only traded at a low of 16 times earnings in the last decade. In 2008 and 2010, it traded at around that multiple but that's the lowest it's got, and it's been as high as 29 times earnings back in 2014. So Hershey is a prized company. It's a quality company. They've made products that have remained virtually unchanged for generations, and people still buy them. And they're finding ways to make acquisitions that will cause growth over time. Now, the CEO, Michelle Buck, has stated that she wants Hershey to be an innovative snacking power powerhouse, is how she put it. Um, and so 
it's not just about chocolate anymore. It's about snacks. We've seen a trend recently where people are shifting a little bit less toward chocolate and a little bit more towards savory snacks, towards salty snacks, towards those snacks that are a combination of sweet and savory. So Hershey is trying to broaden the whole spectrum here. They're trying to own the traditional chocolate markets, which they've been good at owning. They're trying to own kind of that sweet and savory mixture of, say, the Bark Thins products. Um, And they're trying to own the pure salty category as well, such as the Skinny Pop products that they now own or the beef jerky, the Crave beef jerky that they now own. So Hershey's trying to broaden this spectrum and we'll see how it plays out. I certainly hope it's better and different than acquisitions in past decades that haven't worked out so well. Um, Like, you know, the pasta acquisitions. But I think this could be good um, as long as Hershey isn't paying too much for these companies and is able to integrate them well into the rest of the company and make them truly profitable and increasing their sales. So what do I think is going to happen for investors who buy today? Well, right now the dividend is historically high. It's at 2.9%. So we'll just call it about 3% in dividends currently. I think that going forward, you'll see about 1% in share buybacks. I don't expect that to be a huge component of the total return. So we'll say 1% in buybacks. And then as far as the organic earnings growth, I'd say at least 5%. I mean, Hershey has grown their earnings per share in total by 8% annually over the past several years. So I think 5% organic earnings growth is on the low end. And then I think on the high end, let's say they really expand this beef jerky operation and their popcorn operation and really get going on these kind of gourmet snack foods, then maybe they could go earnings as high as 9 and 10%. I don't know. Um, but I think it's somewhere in that range. I don't think it's... I think expecting earnings growth of over 10% for a company like Hershey would be unreasonable. So let's add those together. So we got about 3% in dividend, 1% in buybacks, and then 5 to 10% organic earnings growth. So I think that's a recipe for 9 to 14% annual returns over a period of a few years um, at today's price point. And I'm recording this in May 2018. Or sorry, no, it's June. It's June 2018. What am I saying? In June 2018. So uh, so yeah, I think it's you got a pretty good shot at double-digit returns here. I really do. Um, Hershey has historically traded above 20 times earnings um, because of the quality of the company. So I think you're entering at a pretty fair price point here. Not significantly undervalued by any means. I mean, it's definitely not trading at 15 or 16 times earnings like it was way back in the recession. Um, but it's trading at a good price and it's a high quality asset. And now is a time when you want to get high quality assets when they're trading at fair value or better. Um, so I would say that Hershey uh, is poised to deliver low double digit returns. Um, and at least high single-digit returns over the next several years for long-term owners. But that's what I got. And, uh, you know, I actually can't finish this episode without uh, partaking a little bit. I've been talking for, I don't know, 40 minutes or something like that. Hold up.
you know, you can't you can't finish an episode talking about chocolate without partaking a little bit. You know, I got this Hershey's. They got these cookie cookie layer crunches. So I figured I'd do a little bit of investment research for you guys and eat some chocolate. So. Mm. That's good. Anyway, that's all I got for y'all this week. Thank you, and I'll catch you next week. is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.